Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 o'clock a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 6th of May, 2021. This is episode 414 of Bitcoin and members of Wall Street Bets Forum alleged in Telegram crypto scam stealing $2 million in BNB and Ethereum. Wall Street Bets got rugged, dude. Members of the popular Wall Street Bets Reddit Forum were suspected of a presumable cryptocurrency fraud that could have caused losses of no less than $2 million. By creating a designated Telegram group, they duped investors by guaranteeing remarkable returns through capitalizing on the recent crypto market rally. This is what alt season will get you, buddies. This is out of Crypto Potato, by the way. The author is Dimitar Deradzorov. Okay, yeah, I butchered it. Sorry, dude. Per a report by Bloomberg, alleged members of the Wall Street Bets Reddit forum used the Telegram messaging service to execute a blatant scam. A particular account by the name of Wall Street Bets Crypto Pumps presented users with the chance to purchase a new token certified as WSB Finance before it was listed on crypto exchanges. The operation is known as a pre-mine sale. The essence of the fraud was connected to the recent cryptocurrency boom as Bitcoin and most altcoins skyrocketed in value lately. With some of the digital assets reaching 1,000% gains, the targeted WSB members conned investors into sending money without asking questions and with the potential of netting huge profits. The notorious account also urged users to transfer popular cryptocurrencies such as the new Binance coin and Ethereum to a designated crypto wallet and then to reach its token bot to gain WSB finance coins. However, the perpetrators never dispatched those coins. Furthermore, another message on Telegram revealed that the people who had already issued a payment had to send an equivalent amount again or they would risk losing their initial investment. Oh man, this is particularly bad, dude. So after executing the hoax, More than 3,451 Binance coins were withdrawn on Tuesday, may the 4th be with you, from the wallet inside the CryptoPump's messages. Since the price of BNB at that point was approximately 625 bucks, the fraud caused losses of more than $2.1 million. Following the scam, thousands of people expressed their frustration and tried to expose the individuals behind the account. Moreover, the quantity of the other cryptocurrency, Ethereum, still remains a mystery. Two weeks ago, WSB admins warned about offers that might try to take advantage of the forum's name in order to allure the crypto audience. The Wall Street Bets Crypto Pumps account has been removed from Telegram, but whoever managed it left a message that might stun the affected victims. Quote, buying Lambo now, end quote. Okay, you got rugged. You got rugged hard. Although, 
you know, it, it, we need to make it clear that nobody really knows who's behind this shit. In the, you know, earlier part of the story, it basically suggested that this was part, you know, the, it didn't it didn't really frame the fact that we don't know if this is actually people from Wall Street bets scamming other people from Wall Street bets or if it's just people using the name targeting the the stupider vert you know parts of of WSB uh, I don't believe it was a WSB led scam not 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 at all um that doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means that that's not my, that my gut feeling is that it was somebody completely outside of, of that group, but you got rugged nonetheless. So what's the lesson? Don't do shit like this. This is Nigerian Prince level crap. It's just, in, it's just in a different format. So when people are promising you, you know, 16% gains, you know, every single day for the next month, it's not true. And they're just going to steal your coins. I, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, now this one, this is getting a little interesting. This is out of Blockworks. Tanya Michelle is writing this one. FIS and Nidig open Bitcoin floodgates for banks. Ah, uh, let's figure it out. Bank technology provider FIS is partnering with Nidig to allow customers of its bank clients to buy, sell, and hold cryptocurrency through their bank accounts. As part of the agreement, FIS Venture Arm has made a strategic investment in Nidig, the digital asset subsidiary of Stone Ridge Asset Management, for an undisclosed sum, according to a Wednesday press release. Quote, we believe that digital assets that have a well-defined offering that is also highly regulated should be part of each bank's ecosystem Rather than just a standalone solution offered by various fintechs, Rob Lee, FIS head of Global Core Banking and Channels, told BlockWorks by email, quote, Our core banking and digital relationship with many banks uh, positions FIS to ensure our banking clients retain these deposits and provide value-added services as part of their integrated offering, end quote. Lee also said that FIS has discussed providing the ability to accrue interest on banking clients' Bitcoin balances and, quote, we'll be maturing ideas with Nidig over the coming weeks, end quote. Further, quote, as demand for Bitcoin as a store of value continues to grow, FIS is focused on enabling our core banking clients to respond to growing market demand and better serve their customers. Rob Lee, head of global core banking and channels at FIS, said in a Wednesday press release, unlocking these, <coughs> ooh, sorry, Unlocking these capabilities for financial institutions of all sizes levels the playing field for banking with Bitcoin and can drive further innovation, end quote. <coughs> FIS competitor Fiserv is working on similar capabilities. Last month, First Foundation, a holding company whose subsidiaries include a wealth management firm and a bank, began working with Fiserv to allow customers to buy, sell, and hold Bitcoin through its own banking platform. First Foundation also made a strategic investment in NIDIG, which provides Bitcoin investment and technology solutions to insurers, banks, corporations, institutions, and high net worth individuals. But while Fiserv's client base comprises mostly small banks and credit unions, FIS serves larger banks where pressure to step up modernization efforts and adopt the fintech and digital finance trends are greater. The move from both FIS and Fiserv come as the largest banks in the United States grapple with increasing client demand for Bitcoin and other digital assets. 
Institutions, including JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs have begun making various Bitcoin products available, but to only their wealthiest clients. Additionally, Visa now provides an API for its bank customers in partnership with Anchorage to allow customers to buy, sell, and hold Bitcoin through their bank's existing platforms. Quote, where cryptocurrencies are highly regulated and supplemented with crypto education, we think cryptocurrency can play a role in financial inclusion going forward. FIS and NYDIG are helping to level the playing field to offer all retail banking customers access to the most mature digital asset, Bitcoin. It is no longer an asset offered solely to high net worth individuals or institutional clients. Okay, so caveats here. I'm not sure how it is that FIS... Okay, because the way this thing is being billed is that 300 million bank accounts are going to be able to, to hold Bitcoin. Okay, first of all, I don't buy that number at all. And that wasn't in the story. This was this is just the fact that the story is making the rounds. It hit yesterday and everybody's talking about it. So that's why it's here on today's show. Um I don't I don't buy 300 million bank accounts. First of all, I don't think everybody in the United States has a bank account. There are unbanked people here as well. Second of all, I don't know how it is that it wouldn't be, it, I would have thought that it would have had to have been a regulatory body in the United States government, specifically, I don't know, the, the comptroller of the currency or something like that, that would be able to unlock the technology for bank accounts to be able to uh, custody cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. And I didn't see that happen. So I don't know how a private company, FIS, is able to speak for the banking sector. So keep, you got to keep all this in mind, all right? So I don't know how it is that FIS is able to do this. Maybe I'm wrong. I, it doesn't really matter if I'm wrong or right, okay? The fact of the matter is, is that if, it's, if this is going to happen, the next caveat is this. Do not do it. If you can custody your own Bitcoin, and you can, then you should. You don't need a bank to do this for you. You don't, you don't have to do this, okay? I don't know who it is that's going to want to take part of this. Maybe it's people with like the lowest risk appetite ever. But at that point, it may still be too early for them to even get into Bitcoin. I'm just saying there's no reason to do this, okay? It may, be, it may sound like good news to all the normies out there, but I, if I, I'm staying well away from this bullshit. I don't need a bank to custody my Bitcoin. We, I, I think we're more than able to do that all on our own. Now, e-commerce giant Mercado Libre discloses a $7.8 million Bitcoin buy. This is, I think Mercado Libre did a, a, a previous buy. I'm not sure. Maybe it'll say it in the story. Danny Nelson is writing the story for Coindesk, by the way. <clears throat> Latin American e-commerce giant Mercado Libre disclosed a $7.8 million Bitcoin purchase on Wednesday, making it the latest publicly traded company to park Bitcoin on its balance sheet. The Argentinian-based company said in an earnings report the purchase happened in the last quarter and was part of its treasury strategy. Sorry, Mercado Libre trades on NASDAQ as MELI. Though far from the lofty Bitcoin acquisitions of MicroStrategy, which holds roughly $2.2 billion of it, or Tesla, $1.5 billion of it, the investment by Mercado Libre represents a strong step towards mainstreaming Bitcoin as a payment option. 
the largest e-commerce player in Latin America, Mercado Libre, unveiled a Bitcoin-only real estate platform last week. That's what it was. It's Mercado Pago payments platform integrated Bitcoin way back in 2015. Oh, man, that's, they've been in the game for a while. Okay, so that's where it was. Uh, that's where I'd heard Mercado Libre as they, they did it through their, their real estate arm. Um, this is good news. $7.8 million is now off the table, at least for the medium, you know, short to medium term. We'll have to see if they do a liquidity test and uh, go forward from there. But, you know, I, I, the other thing about the story is that it is part of my thesis that I'm not really all that concerned about what's going on in the West. I'm also not concerned what's going on in fucking China. They're, these are all first world countries. I don't really care about the first world countries at this point. What I do care about is Central and South America, the Balkans, the Baltics, Eastern Europe, and the entire continent of Africa, and like, you know, shit like Mongolia, you know, stuff like that. That's where I think the real interest the, or, or the more interesting situations are going to, to arise. So uh, good to see that my thesis is playing out in Latin America. JP Morgan CEO says he has no interest in Bitcoin, but his clients disagree. Uh, Andrew Asmakov is writing this for Decrypt.co. JPM or JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, who once famously labeled Bitcoin a fraud, might have softened his stance since then, but he remains a, a, a skeptic. Quote, I'm not a Bitcoin supporter. Well, duh, Jamie. He said during a WSJ CEO council summit on Tuesday, I don't really care about Bitcoin. I have no interest in it. Diamond, however, conceded that his opinion of Bitcoin is at odds with that of his own clients, stating that, quote, on the other hand, clients are interested and I don't tell clients what to do. Oh, good for you, Jamie. Last year, the Diamond-led investment bank approved banking accounts for crypto exchanges Coinbase and Gemini, while also operating its own blockchain-based digital currency, JPM Coin, a stable coin that nobody uses, but is designed to enable instant transfer of value between bank account holders. JPM Coin is pegged one-to-one to the U.S. dollar. In addition, JP Morgan has established Onyx, an umbrella organization for its blockchain and digital currency initiatives. Quote, blockchain is real. We use it. No, you don't. I guarantee you don't use actual blockchain. Anyway, then you have digital currencies that are 100% backed by actual assets, said Diamond. But people have to remember that a currency is supported by the taxing authority of a country, the rule of law, a central bank. Yeah, the fucking dinosaurs that are about to get pummeled to death. When asked about CBDCs, digital currencies that are being developed by central banks, Diamond said they have potential as digital money for consumers, but he's concerned with the implications for user privacy. No, you're not. I guarantee you're not. According to the banker, the U.S. has to look at CBDC privacy in a different manner. For example, China, which is actively exploring CBDCs on the national level and wants to know what you do with your money. Oh, and you don't, Jamie. Bullshit. JP, JP Morgan has a history of contradictory statements about cryptocurrencies. In September of 2017, Diamond asserted that Bitcoin is just not a real thing and that it eventually will be closed. <laughs> it closes like a department store. Oh, isn't that cute? He even threatened to fire any JPM Morgan employee found trading crypto. I remember that shit. However, in January of 2018, 
Soon after Bitcoin reached the $20,000 mark, Diamond said he regretted making the comment, quote, I'm not interested that much in the subject at all, Diamond said at the time. In a surprising move in October of 2020, the investment bank stated that Bitcoin is, as a store of value is solidly competing with gold as millennials would become over time a more important component of investors' universe. <clears throat> Earlier this year, J.P. Morgan's quantitative strategist Nikolaos Panagiotou suggested that Bitcoin will have to reach $146,000 to match the levels of private investment in gold, adding, however, that a price range between $50,000 and $100,000 would prove unsustainable. <laughs> God, still the bank's involvement with Bitcoin could be just a matter of time, according to Daniel Pinto, J.P. Morgan's co-president and COO. It will simply have no other choice if cryptocurrencies become really widespread. And yeah, they're going to, even though 99.99% of them are just pure fraud. Okay, moving on. Martin Young, writing this one for Cointelegraph, signs the Bitcoin hash rate is starting to move away from China. This is good news. Although the majority of Bitcoin mining is still based in China, there are signs it is beginning to shift elsewhere. Chun Wang, the co-founder of one of Bitcoin's largest mining pools, F2 Pool, reported that China represented less than half of its hash rate during the April 2020 season. Um, <clears throat> Wang noted, it was the first time the pool had seen Chinese miners represent a minority of hash rate in its eight years of operation. The shifting is real, he said. Uh, Wang posted or reposted data published on April the 22nd by Digital Currency Group's Barry Silbert, which revealed that the United States-based Bitcoin mining pool foundry had climbed to rank among the top five pools globally during April commanding a 7.6% share of the hash rate. Quote, Bitcoin hash rate is quickly shifting from China to North America, Silbert claimed. The leading pool remains Amppool, which is operated by Chinese mining hardware manufacturer Bitmain with an 18.6% share of the total hash rate. The University of Cambridge calculated that China's mining dominance was around 65% in April 2020, noting those figures in January 2021 BTC mining publication Miner Daily estimated China's share had fallen to 55% of BTC's hashing power by the start of this year, with the United States accounting for 11%. On April the 30th, Cointelegraph reported that China's crypto mining operations may be set for stricter regulations in the future, which could further fuel the country's hash rate exodus. China has also recently been examining miners' power usage in light of its own carbon commitments, <clears throat> which are bullshit. In late February, it was reported that authorities of the Chinese autonomous region of Inner Mongolia proposed closing down all local mining facilities to reduce energy consumption in that region. The region accounts for as much as 8% of global hash rate. In an article on May the 5th, Bitcoin podcast host Marty Bent said that the F2 pool findings are a confirmation of a trend in the mining world of hash rate production becoming more geographically distributed. He added that this would help distribute some of the, quote, China controls mining FUD or dissipate some of the China controls mining FUD surrounding the potential for the country's central government to attack the network. Quote, it is great to have some data coming from Chinese pools that proves 
the percentage of overall hash rate production is being reduced within China's borders, end quote. The FUD surrounding Bitcoin's energy consumption and environmental impact may also reduce as more mining operations switch to renewable energy, especially in the U.S., which has much tighter regulations. According to a NASDAQ report on May the 4th, Texas has become a mecca for Bitcoin mining farms due to low energy costs and the fact that the majority comes from renewables such as wind and solar. But here's the deal. Okay, that's the end of the article. But here's the deal on that. <clears throat> um, it's just not going to be... It's not going to extinguish the energy usage FUD that Bitcoiners, your Bitcoin mining moves to renewables like wind and solar because guess what the cry from the rooftops is going to be then? Look, they're using all our renewables up. They're forcing us to use dirty energy. Oh my God, blood coin, blood coin, blood coin. I guarantee it. I, the, the only way this shit works going forward in the future, and it will take a while to get there, and I'm not concerned about it, but the only way going forward in the future is tapping into the lowest yield energy sources that are a nuisance. If Bitcoin gets its hash power and maintains its hash rate at today's levels and beyond using trash energy that would otherwise be even worse for the environment or major headaches and nuisances for municipalities, counties, you know, larger regions than that. You know, if we can do that, we got something. But as long as a single lump of coal, a single drop of oil that would be going into somebody's car or paving yet one more freaking road, if we're using that energy, then the FUD will remain. And people like Novogratz and Mark Cuban and that other idiot from, oh God, uh, Shark Tank guy, Kelly, I can't remember his name, whatever. Anyway, they're going to be ca calling it blood coin. And, uh, you know, we've got ESG stuff coming up on the horizons. I think the only way to, to extinguish that FUD once and for all is to start harnessing nuisance energy, which is notoriously low yield. But the beauty of that is is that it's 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 distributed. You got to go out in the field to find this stuff whether it's just, you know, like municipal wood waste or leaky, you know, leaky wellheads that are spewing off methane. These are nuisances, they are headaches, they are liabilities and we could deal with them. We could make all that shit go away, man. We really could. And then at that point there's Nowhere for the argument to go for people like Novogratz and Kelly and whatever his name is and, and Mark Cuban. They won't have a leg to stand on because it turns out that Bitcoin is actually healing the environment and everything else is what's hurting the environment. Anyway, let's move on. Why you shouldn't be worried about a Bitcoin ban. Rob Price is writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Worried about a ban? Well, then you need Bitcoin more than you think. Skeptics often argue that governments will ban Bitcoin when it comes, becomes too important and threatens national sovereignty. At least these critics understand Bitcoin's importance and the power the state currency monopolies exert over us. What they fail to understand is the power of distributed open source technologies and the game theory faced by governments when making these decisions 
Bans are ineffective. They merely edge global technological power to peers, or sorry, seed global technological power to peers. Authoritarian governments are more inclined to attempt regressive regulations. If you live under that type of regime, you need Bitcoin more than you think. Self-regulation is the most important component of a distributed open source technology like Bitcoin. The Bitcoin supply is pre-programmed with a hard limit of 21 million units. Blocks are mined every 10 minutes on average. Miners are rewarded with new Bitcoin. Supply growth halves every four years. Anyone can view and validate transactions by running a node and no one can be censored from the network if they have internet access and abide by the consensus rules, which were listed above, basically. These principles remain intact no matter what you, I, or regulators think. A government can attempt to ban its citizens from using the network, but Bitcoin will continue to run on the internet. The Securities and Exchange Commission's Hester Pierce made this point recently when she concluded that, quote, governments would be foolish to ban Bitcoin. Even if a government were to ban Bitcoin, it would be ineffective. The United States government banned alcohol under prohibition, but liquor was widely available during that time. Bitcoin is not even a physical entity, so how do governments intend to seize it? It is excruciatingly difficult to ban people from using code on the internet. Ask China. They tried to ban Facebook, but Chinese still access Facebook via VPNs. There are even question marks about the legality of any potential Bitcoin ban in the United States because Bitcoin is ultimately code, which could be protected category, a protected category of free speech under the First Amendment. And it is. I believe it was the California, I can't remember what circuit uh, court that is, but it was California's Circuit of Appeals uh, upheld that code is indeed protected free speech. Now, this case has not gone to the Supreme Court yet because, well, the circuit court basically said it was free speech, so there's no reason to battle any further. But if the battle comes again, then it will probably end up in the Supreme Court. I'm just saying, but for right now and for the last 25 years or so, code is protected free speech under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. There is no argument there. A Bitcoin ban would be foolish and ineffective, <clears throat> but governments would certainly increase the barriers to entry and increase friction. Regulators can implement Know Your Customer and anti-money laundering requirements or raise taxes, which would likely slow adoption. However, it is difficult to believe that governments could execute remarkably stricter policies on Bitcoin relative to other financial assets. Although governments have pre previously overstepped the boundaries with, there is little precedent for being able to do so, nor incentive with Bitcoin. Furthermore, if they did, would they be willing to bear the consequences? Do the world's leading powers want to turn away from this powerful technology when others embrace it? Republican policymaker Kevin McCarthy commented on the geopolitical trade-offs in a recent interview. U.S. policymakers are concerned about the possibility of ceding the initiative to China. This type of regulatory competition has pushed Mayor <coughs> uh, Francis Suarez to embrace Bitcoin as he encourages tech-savvy capital, tech capital to a city. Perhaps positive Bitcoin regu uh, regulation is just as likely as negative regulation, huh? A ban would be more impactful if all countries were to coordinate and implement, implement it simultaneously. However, what's the probability of global coordination in a fractious world of geopolitics? The UK is too busy arguing with the EU and the US bickering with China for them to all clamp down on simulta or simultaneously on Bitcoin. 
Marco Papik's multipolar worldview that he outlined in his recent book, A Geopolitical Alpha, strengthened my conviction that the geopolitical conditions that would be necessary for a globally coordinated clampdown on Bitcoin just do not exist. Turning from macro to micro factors, are governments willing to destroy Bitcoin companies within their own borders? If we think about the jobs at Coinbase, Gemini, and other companies, we realize that Bitcoin is becoming entrenched, particularly in the world's largest economy. <clears throat> Exchanges exist in most countries worldwide. Corporations hold Bitcoin on their balance sheets. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange offers Bitcoin futures, and people in the United States Congress are outright supporters of BTC. In recent weeks, Ex-U.S. regulators have joined both Binance and BlockFi, which highlights a growing relationship between Bitcoin-related businesses and the government. There is a high probability that many politicians hold Bitcoins themselves. I suspect that Bitcoin holders have a stronger, more organized, and vocal lobbying group than their opponents. Most countries have adopted a wait-and-see approach because they do not know how exactly to approach Bitcoin technology. They hope that innovation, jobs, and economic growth will emerge, and they argue that the industry is too small to present a real threat. But the longer they wait, the more entrenched the industry becomes and the less <clears throat> likely negative regulation is. This factor becomes more meaningful if one considers millennials' rise to economic power and political prominence. The fall of 2020 blockchain capital survey reveals 55% of millennials will likely purchase Bitcoin in the next five years versus only 19% for the 55 to 64 age category. Millennials share three times more likely to hold cryptocurrency than their parents because they are more familiar with new technologies and are comfortable with intangible assets <clears throat> and probably view the asset as their opportunity to create a sounder financial future. With each passing year, this generation moves closer to the seat of political power. At the very least, they become a consideration of vote-hungry politicians. In ineffective? Yes. Unlikely? Yes. However, a Bitcoin ban is still possible. Governments that ban new technologies tend to take on certain characters, though. <clears throat> Such governments attend, or, uh, yeah, are tending to be more authoritarian and less supportive of individual liberties like those of China and Venezuela. It is in these countries where people need Bitcoin the most. Venezuelans do not care what the government says. They need Bitcoin to protect themselves from hyperinflation. Afghanis and Belarusians need access to digital bank accounts to liberate themselves from their oppressive governments. Shit, Turkey and Nigeria are both great recent examples of places where Bitcoin becomes a need and a must. In the past, Erdogan's Turkish government announced measures to stop merchants from accepting Bitcoin and Nigeria clamped down on exchanges. In response, interest in Bitcoin is shot through the roof in both countries. Turkey and Nigeria were already Bitcoin hotspots because people in those countries know that their government does not protect the value of the currency. Uh, it is telling that these governments measures uh, to con or these governments measures to control Bitcoin have not dampened interest in it. The moral of the story is that if you think your government is going to ban Bitcoin, then you need it more than you think you do. <clears throat> At some point, governments might become threatened by the Bitcoin ecosystem. It is understandable that the possibility of looming regulation is a barrier for potential investors. However, if we dig into the potential scenarios, we figure out that the government's and your most effective responses to Bitcoin are the same. Embrace it. In this scenario, the governments can at least attempt 
to extract as much tax revenue from the burgeoning industry as possible. Unless governments can muster renewed global coordination, bans are foolish. Only the most regressive governments will prevent their citizens from interacting with this powerful technology, and people's need for Bitcoin is the strongest in those countries. Each individual needs to decide where they sit on this spectrum, but do not take too long to make that decision. The stakes are too damn high and the opportunity too damn great to allow the regulatory threat to prevent action altogether. All right, moral of the story is <clears throat> don't, do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good or the good enough, which means even if they do ban it, even if you don't know what the hell they're gonna do, you need Bitcoin and you need it now. You don't want to wait till later. It's, this is what he's saying is, if you wait too long to figure out what the government's going to do, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. Because when they finally do act with hammer and gavel, either the price will be something that you just can't wrap your head around, and you'll still need Bitcoin, by the way, to, no matter what the price is. Or they have positive regulatory effects, and you're like, damn, I thought they were going to ban it. I'm just saying, hey, let's run numbers. Flammable liquids are down. Shiny metal rocks are up. <coughs> Oil down half a percent. West Texas Intermediate coming in at $65.28. Brent North Sea down the same amount. $68.64 for a barrel of that. Natural gas, however, swinging to the upside by a quarter of a point, uh, $2.94 for a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold is up almost a half a point to $1,791. Silver is up 1.12% to $26.82. Platinum is up almost a full point. Copper is up three or three quarters of a point and palladium is down 1.15%. Most of the agricultural futures are high or up again. Wheat is down, but soybeans are up by 1.35%. Corn, sugar, coffee, cotton, and rough rice are all up to the upside. And let's see, cocoa is down by a quarter of a point. Indices, we are, well, in the green, but it's sort of sideways. Let's see, Dow futures is up by 0.11%. S&P futures up 0.1%. NASDAQ futures up 0.19% and the S&P mini is up a third of a point. The, let's see, interest uh, <clears throat> prices on the United States Treasury bonds are all up, except for the two-year futures are unchanged for that. Real money, thank God. $57,868.50 for a Bitcoin, and you're not going to believe the rest of this shit. Let's get into the rest of Bitcoin, though, 311,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us right at 13,000 transactions on average every hour. With 613,000 BTC being sent for the la over the last day, to 25,554 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.95 BTC and a median transaction value holding stable at 0.017 BTC or about $1,000. Block times are still fairly low. Eight minutes and 53 seconds, 0.63 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 102.32 BTC 
have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. The precipitous drop in hash rate, however, 7.1% to the downside, gives us 169.72 exahashes per second. So there you go. I have no idea what caused the, the hash rate to fall off. But dudes, Litecoin is at 344 bucks. Dogecoin is at 60 cents. And get this one. Ethereum Classic is at $112. Over the last six months of before quote-unquote alt season hit, I was reading Ethereum Classic prices at $4. All right, now this is not your signal that you should ape into this crap. You're going to get hosed if you do. And I saw some, some moron tweeted out earlier today that if you had put your STEMI check into Doge, you would have gotten a, a half a million dollars. Yeah, okay, there's problems with that. First of all, how did you know Doge was going to do anything? Because it, by that time, Elon was just tongue-in-cheeking, you know, jokes about Dogecoin. He's become more serious. It also appears that somebody holds 28% of the entire circulating supply of Dogecoin and only started buying it sometime around, I want to say, the fir very first part of this year. So when that dude decides to cut loose, who knows? And I am probably not going to be able to get my sack of Doge over to Kraken to dump it on retail because you know what? Fuck them. They want to buy into stupid shit, lit them. You know, I'm, I'm done trying to, to protect people. They want to get wiped out and have to read Reddit posts with suicide hotline numbers. So fucking be it. I'm done with these people. So they want to hold a bag of garbage, let them. I, I'm just, you, you try and you try and you try and you try. And all that happens is that people are screaming in your ear about how you got yours and they want theirs. It's their turn. They didn't do dick. They just like, I mean, the, the, the people that are in Bitcoin are in here for, for reasons. And yet here we are with Ethereum Classic at 112 bucks and Dogecoin is probably going to hit a dollar. And I, can, I, I will be lucky if I get my shit on Kraken at this point in time for me to cut that shit loose for Bitcoin or something. Either It's either going to be Bitcoin or cash. It depends on, on what I need more. And of course I need more Bitcoin, but I could use some cash. And if these idiots want to give me their cash for Dogecoin... Fine. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just done trying to do the right thing. Nobody else seems to be wanting to do the right thing. Sorry for the rant, guys. Let's get into it. Clark Moody Bitcoin, his dashboard has or is flashing 21,925 transactions that are on it's waiting on only 48 blocks to clear. We may actually clear the mempool. Of course, not with a 7% dump in hash rate. If that continues, we'll be, you know, waiting forever for the mempool to clear. But the remember the mempool has or the mempool my mempool at least has not cleared since last year. Just just saying, <clears throat> we are at one point zero nine trillion dollars of market cap. That is nine point three percent of gold's market cap, and one Bitcoin will get you thirty two point three ounces of gold. Of <clears throat> and and as far as the Bitcoin money supply is concerned, there are eighteen million seven hundred and one thousand. 279.25 BTC in circulation. 
at a going rate of $58,090 according to whatever price Clark Moody is looking at. <clears throat> there are 1,258 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that is now valued at $73.1 million. There are 10,996 Lightning nodes and 43,792 Lightning channels that we know of. There's probably a lot more than that, guys. Uh, percentage of Tor capacity is at 58.1%, just like it was yesterday. There are 731 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is being run over 5,263 nodes that we know about. Taproot activation, nothing's changed. We're still not going to activate Taproot in this two-week uh, difficulty period. However, a lot more green blocks are coming online I'm looking at Taproot right now, and as I as I scan down, and I'm looking, you know, the first, like the whole first row is red blocks except for one green block. The second row is the exact same. However, the third row, you end up with like five or six blocks, and seventh, you get eight or nine, and then all of a sudden, we've got more green blocks coming in than we do red blocks coming in, and the green blocks indicate that those miners who are mining those blocks are signaling for Taproot to be activated. So even though we're not going to get it this two weeks, maybe in the next two weeks, we'll just have to see. Anyway, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Court orders Kraken to provide information to uh, on user transactions to the IRS. Uh, a little bit more, we've talked about this before, but there's a little bit more information coming out uh, as of late. Brian Quarmby tells us about it from Cointelegraph. Now, Kraken has been ordered to provide information on its users who conducted the equivalent of $20,000 in crypto transactions in any one year between 2016 and 2020 to the Internal Revenue Service. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. And because if anybody's like, you know, freaking out, remember that back in 2016, $20,000 transaction, you know, in one year was a lot. Okay, which meant that you had to be an active trader or you, you, you I mean, unless you had a shit ton of, of Bitcoin, but if you were like me in 2015 and you're just starting starting out and dollar cost averaging and, and whatnot, when I, you know, did a transaction like the idiot that I am that in, landed me with a bag of, of bullshit like Litecoin and Ethereum. And now I'm actually holding like, I think I have four Ethereum Classic. Um, when I was doing that, those would be considered transactions. But you got to remember back in 20, you know, 2016, that really wasn't worth all that much. You know, it was certainly wasn't $20,000. So when they say $20,000, just, you know, think about what were the prices and did you act, you know, are you going to activate that number? And if you did, were you on Kraken? I, you know, it's, I don't think it's all that, you know, horrid to worry about. A federal court in Northern California <coughs> has authorized the IRS to serve a John Doe summons on Kraken and they did it yesterday. The, uh, the exchange is not allowed to have done any or not alleged to have done anything wrong. 
The IRS is after the records of an ascertainable group or class of persons who may have filed or failed to comply with tax reporting and internal revenue laws. In addition, the IRS will check if Kraken has been compliant with its record-keeping obligations, such as KYC rules. Quote, this John Doe summons is part of our effort to uncover those who are trying to skirt reporting and avoid paying their fair share, said IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddig in the court's press release. Yeah, pay your fair share. In what? Bombing Pakistani weddings and blowing apart small children holding their dolls in my son's and daughter's name? Fuck you, IRS. You are criminals, and I hope you're all lined up against a wall one day. Because when you go to war in my children's name, in my name, in my wife's name, in my sister's name, what you are doing is reprehensible. You are not human. You are the lowest of the low scum that I would not walk across out in the open. I'm serious. When they say pay my fair share, the first thing that I think of is bombing Pakistani weddings. Is that where my fair share needs to go? Is that what my, what my life means? Is that what my children's life means? So that George W. Bush can get his rocks off by watching children blown apart in a fucking foreign land? Is that it? All of these people are scum. They do not deserve your respect. They certainly don't deserve your money, which represents the time value of your life as you've lived upon this earth. And when you give over any single dollar of that to these fucking criminals, it cheapens who you are and the life that you've led. That doesn't mean that I'm suggesting that you don't pay them because I don't want anybody to go to prison, even though this is supposedly a voluntary tax and that we're not technically obligated to have to pay it. I've seen people try to pull that shit. It does not work out well for them, but do understand this. When they take your money and scream fair share, is it a fair share of bombing a Pakistani wedding full of, of innocent civilians and children? Is that the fair share they're talking about? Because I do believe that that's what they're talking about. Anyway, Acting Attorney General David Hubbard of the Justice Department's Tax Division said, those who transact with cryptocurrency must meet their tax obligations like any other taxpayer so that we can go bomb Pakistani weddings. A John Doe summons is used by the IRS to get names and information about all taxpayers from a specified description, such as the $20,000 and over class stated in this latest of summons. <coughs> According to the supporting declaration, the IRS is after information on five different classes of U.S. taxpayer. Some of the activities the IRS are looking into include reporting limited income despite Crypto trading between a range of $5 million to $56 million, operating multiple accounts while exchanging fiat currency to digital assets and back to fiat for no apparent economic benefit. The IRS is also keeping an eye on those who submitted delinquent tax returns in 2017 and 2018 with income of more than $2 million each year with activity consisting of more than $23 million in deposits and withdrawals at various crypto exchanges. The road to this latest phishing expedition was reportedly paved by the first John Doe summons to, on Coinbase in 2016, in which the IRS obtained the information of 13,000 Coinbase customers. Coinbase has been under scrutiny ever since, and in November of 2020, tax lawyers of Coinbase warned customers 
that it had been tracking an increase in IRS enforcement against users who failed to comply with tax and reporting requirements. Cointelegraph reported on April 18th that a Massachusetts federal court had entered an order authorizing the IRS to serve a John Doe summons on Circle Internet Financial Incorporated. So that's, you know, this is becoming more and more, you know, they're, they, they, they want your money and they're, you know, going to do whatever it is that they can to get it. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of thing that, you know, if anybody was thinking about leaving, you know, their country of origin, this is the kind of shit that'll make them pull the trigger. It, I'm, I'm very seriously thinking about leaving the United States. I, I'm just done with these yahoos because they're all evil, man. I mean, if they were doing actually good shit with my, with my tax dollars, I really probably wouldn't have that much of a problem, but they never do. They mismanage the funds and then they spend it on blowing apart children at Pakistani weddings. I don't, I don't condone that shit. And yet I'm paying for it and I have no say in it. And it makes me want to go to El Salvador or something like that and hang out at Bitcoin beach. I don't know. Maybe things look better in South Korea. Greg Thompson tells us about this one from cointelegraph.com. South Korean regulators tell banks to open the books on cryptocurrency exchanges. I guess South Korea is not a place to go either. Financial regulators in South Korea have asked banks to provide information on their dealings with cryptocurrency firms. A local outlet reported on Wednesday as authorities seek to determine how many cryptocurrency exchanges operate within the country's borders. An unnamed regulatory body has requested that banks reveal the corporate accounts of cryptocurrency exchanges that haven't already implemented real name accounts for its cryptocurrency customers. Only the four largest exchanges in South Korea have thus far set up real name accounts, while the rest until now have been operating under the radar. Quote, currently cryptocurrency exchanges can operate without permission from the government, which is why it's difficult to identify the exact number of cryptocurrency exchanges. One way to find out is to track corporate bank accounts that collect customers' funds, an anonymous exchange official explained to the Korean Herald. Estimates suggest that there are between 100 and 200 cryptocurrency exchanges that remain outside the purview of the government. Any businesses which still haven't registered their activities by September the 24th will be liable to fall foul of the revised act on reporting and using specified financial transaction information and could face up to five years in prison because of course, violence, let's use violence against all of our, uh, all of our citizenry because you know, screw them. I hate, hate them. If I had my chance, I'd just blow them apart with the drone attack. You know what? Anyway, sorry. The revised law will require cryptocurrency exchanges to establish appropriate security management systems, form transparent partnerships with local banks, and lodge reports with government authorities. Wow. Require cryptocurrency exchanges to form partnerships with local banks. Uh, maybe they're just like centering on the transparent partnerships with local banks. Anyway, it's just... It's bad news. Every, like, okay, here it is. This is how the first world loses its status. Because South Korea is definitely a first world country. So is the United States. And Russia, more or less. China certainly is. Australia, New Zealand, and all of Europe, pretty much. Um, all of these are the places that are taking giant shits on their citizenry. Now, that's not to say that, you know, Nigeria government isn't doing the same or the God forbid the Venezuelan government isn't doing their same. However, by and large, from Canada to the, you know, all of North America, all of Europe, all of China, all of the first world is openly 
openly stealing from their citizenry and doing the very worst things in their citizens' names that you could possibly imagine. And this is going to cause first world movement to the third world, which will turn the third world into the first world. And in my opinion, everything that's north of the equator is fucked. And I hate to be that way, I really do, but when I'm looking at the world map and I see the the equator and what's going on below the equator and what's going on above the equator, I have I don't have a whole lot of hope for what's going on north of the equator. Because 85% of the countries north of the equator treat their citizens like absolute trash. And people like you, El Salvador is going to win. Guatemala is going to win. It won't be tomorrow, but it will be probably sooner than we think. Costa Rica is a beautiful country. And as more and more <clears throat> people scuttle their wealth out of their countries of origin in the you know north of the equator and move down south of the equator, you're going to watch those countries explode in wealth and technology and manufacturing. It's going to be... It's going to be hell on wheels and nobody sees it coming because we all lie quietly in our beds thinking that the United States is the greatest country in the world. It is not. It used to be. But ever since the federal government of the United States of America ceased to be an American institution, and they did that in 1913, this country's been in a nosedive and it's taken the rest of the countries with it. Why? Because of the Bretton Woods Agreement where everybody pegged their shit to our dollar because we promised them that we'd peg our dollar to gold. And then Nixon broke his promise. And I'm surprised we didn't get the living shit bombed out of us for that. 76 countries basically got rug pulled all at once on the exact same day. And not a shot was fired and not a bomb was dropped. And somehow or another, everybody has still been you know, fairly nice to us. I don't get it. They, Nixon stole the world's wealth on that day in 1971. I'm telling you, man, I'd start looking down south. I would be looking at El Salvador and Guatemala and even Venezuela right now. Right now sucks, but it'll probably turn. As wealth flows in to the south of the equator, you're going to see something absolutely spectacular and probably unprecedented in human history. Let's move on. Van Eck and Beta shares apply for an Australian crypto ETF as family offices snap up BTC. Martin Young has this from Cointelegraph. Family offices in Australia are reportedly piling into digital assets as fund managers compete to list or to list as the country's first cryptocurrency back exchange traded fund. Van Eck and Beta shares have each lodged submissions with the Australian Securities Exchange following a rejection of industry speculation in March that the exchange was opposed to such products. The ASX confirmed that they have received formal applications from several other investment managers eager to launch their own Bitcoin ETFs. Earlier this week, Vanek Asian Pacific Chief Executive Arian Neron stated that the crypto asset movement had become more mainstream and that Bitcoin ETFs on the ASX could democratize crypto assets for all types of investors. Australian ETF provider BetaShares also confirmed an ASX application but did not specify whether it was planning a Bitcoin product or one more broadly backed by digital assets. Managing Director Alex Venacour 
stated that there was significant demand for such products, adding, quote, from our perspective, a regulated structure of an ETF is the most appropriate structure for a significant number of investors rather than buying Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies on unregulated exchanges, end quote. The ASX declined to speculate or comment on the application, but stated that it is closely monitoring developments in relation to listed investments involving Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The move has been viewed as bullish by investors down under as Australia's wealthiest families begin to diversify their portfolios with crypto assets. According to a Business Insider Australia report, listed blockchain investment company Digital X has been offering assistance to increase the number to an increasing number of family offices eager to invest in the manufacturing or the maturing digital asset space. Executive Director Lee Travers said that investors are replacing their get this gold positions of their portfolios with Bitcoin, adding, quote, the biggest change has been around institutional interest, which has helped evolved it from a speculative asset to an asset that is part of a diversified portfolio and has the strongest macro wins of any investment possible, I think, in quote. Travelers cited DeFi as being one factor that has made this bull run different from the previous one in 2017-2018. The report revealed that the average family office in Australia and New Zealand controls more than $600 million each, and the moves into crypto assets signal just how ubiquitous the asset class is becoming. As reported by Cointelegraph, Australia's security regulator ASIC, ASIC, no relation to the mining, wants crypto firms to engage with them to help them foster innovation in the region. In late April, the United States SEC delayed the decision on VanEx Bitcoin ETF until June 17th. So Australia and New Zealand getting into the action, people. Uh, you know, and this is one of the reasons why alt season is is upon us because it's that same, it's, it, it really does. It all boils down to um, choosing to look at a unit bias the, uh, thesis of investment rather than what's actually going on with the coin itself, i.e. Dogecoin. They're looking at, oh man, look at the price has gone up and, and yet it's still affordable. That is not an investment thesis, people. What is an investment thesis is who's using Doge? Where? For what? Who's maintaining the code? Well, at this point, no one. That's why, that's why it's still emitting 14 million Dogecoin a day and $5 billion a year because nobody's maintaining the code. There's no development on it. Nobody is actually, you know, I don't, who has commit access to Dogecoin? Does anybody even know? This, right now, it's impossible to, to flip its emissions to where it's not going to just overinflate. That's an investment thesis, okay? It's not, look, it's cheap and it's made a lot of money. I can still get in. Dude, if that's your investment thesis, you might as well go play in the stock market. Just use Robinhood. I'm sure they'll love to have you. Hey, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. have not done a train wreck for you guys in a while. So here it is <clears throat> from page6.com. Carol Baskin is launching a big cat themed cryptocurrency.
Yep. Move over, Dogecoin. Tiger King star Carol Baskin is getting into the crypto game with a cat-themed altcoin. Her big cat rescue has issued a new altcoin called Cat. Oh, it's got the little the, the little uh, cash tag in front of it, too, so it really looks like scat. Which she explained in a press release, quote, is not a currency for investment, but rather is a currency. Get it? Get it? Do you? Really? Currency. Oh, my God. Anyway, it's a currency of our fans to show their love for the cats. The coin, described as a fan token, will be used to purchase walks at the sanctuary, cat-themed merchandise, and access to conversations with Baskin and her crew. (laughs) Quote, future plans include a big cat metaverse, for virtual visits with the cats and, of course, NFTs, which are launching in about two weeks. No, I'm serious. It actually says that two weeks. Says the enterprise or the enterprising release. The coin is listed on Rally.io at around seven dollars, but it is not an investment tool. "Quote: I'm investigating cryptocurrencies because I am concerned about the volume of U.S. dollars that are being printed and distributed with nothing to back them." Baskin adds, "Quote: I like the idea of putting the power of money in the hands of people rather than banks and governments." So a little bit of saving grace there at the very end, but not by much. Come on, dude. Currency. Ah, you're you're killing me with this shit. So let's have a joke. This one, however, came to me from R. Truman, at R underscore Truman, T-R-U-E-M-A-N. So, okay, here it is. The truth is, six out of seven dwarves are not happy. If I have to explain that shit to you, you are too young and... I just I'm just saying it's a good one though. I that's actually kind of a surprising uh a surprising play on a, da- a really terrible dad joke. Now, all right, so it's uh what what's today? Thursday. Today's Thursday. We are on the downside of the week. Where are we at on the price now that we are close to the end of the show? Uh looks like $57,980, so we're just kind of moving along sideways. Doge is at 61 cents. And I don't know what Ethereum Classic is doing at this point. I it's probably a hundred million dollars as far as I can tell. So it's it's it is alt season. Does it make me sad? Yes, of course it makes me sad because people are gonna get wrecked. However, it's gonna happen and you can't save everybody. In fact, it's almost impossible for any one person to save very many more than one other person. It's almost impossible to save just one. There's no way that we're going to get out there in force, in mass, and be able to save all these, all these people that are aping into this stuff. And some of my friends are going to be one of the, you know, are going to be the worst wrecked. And what sucks is that I'm going to have to hear about it personally. I got into Doge. I'm like, oh, so you got into a, a giant pile of crap now, didn't you? When it happens, try not to feel bad. That's all I can say. And how long will alt season last? I don't know. Nobody really knows how these what these cycles are doing. We're all so new. It's just, I mean, to, to say anything as to what the cycle is going to look like is purely speculation. And I don't have enough, none of us have enough information to make anything but a speculative, you know, play. 
Although, if you want to know my gut feeling, alt season is probably going to last longer than last alt season did. And I'm not even really sure how quote unquote long alt season was last year. Or not last, last year, I meant last cycle. But it'll probably be double that here. That's my gut feeling. But there's no numbers to back it up. There's no technical, you know, there's no TA. I'm not running charts, okay? It's a pure gut feeling, but I have, but my gut feeling is that this shit's going to last at least twice as long as last cycle. So we'll take that for whatever it's worth. Don't ape into shit. Keep your friends clean if you can, but don't, don't get heartbroken when they come to you and say that they've lost their house because that could very well happen. It hasn't happened to me yet. I'm praying to God that it doesn't. We'll just have to see, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.